How are we doing? Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I love this spring weather. <laughs> Last week we started this series, Life's Most Important Question. And there are a lot of important questions in life, and I presented some of the possibilities last week. And I also asked you to tell me what you believe is life's most important question. And I got some good response, some good ones here. One came right from the Bible, Matthew 27, 22, where Pilate asked, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Great question. It might be life's most important question. Another was basically the same, do you know Jesus? Another said, who am I? Which makes sense, before you can ask, why am I here, we need to know our identity, who am I? And I thought, you people have ruined my series, because I think my question is the most important. But you have some good points, and they may be the most important question. Here's some others that were submitted. Will my children be saved? Huge question. Does my life honor God, and what is God's purpose for my life? All very important, but I'm not going to change it. I'm suggesting life's most important question is, why am I here? What am I on this earth for? Jesus had a clearly defined purpose to save the world, and I'm suggesting that we too have a clearly defined purpose, and my goal for these next few weeks is for you to write a purpose statement for your life. One sheet of paper, uh, doesn't have to be long, just write out why you are here. Now, I've done this, and if you want to see mine, I'll send it to you. But I don't want you to copy mine. It needs to be better. It's better if you work through this and think through this. Why am I here? Sorry, Eric. Okay. Now, this is not something just as a church we're wrestling with. We're going to show you a clip from a famous TV show to show you that even sitcoms deal with this question. I think you'll recognize this show. Look, it turns out Allie doesn't want to know how we get here. She wants to know why we're here, why God put us on earth. And she's waiting for Ray to answer her. What's wrong with you? It's simple. Oh, okay, yeah. We're going to learn the meaning of life from a guy who once threw his shoe at a swan. (laughs) That's called protecting your sandwich. (laughs) Listen to me. Here's what life is. You're born, you go to school, you go to work, you die. That's it. That's all. Cannoli Marie. (laughs) Listen, we're not talking about what we do while we're here, Dad. Yeah, yeah, the big question is why we're here in the first place. You know, I've spent many a night lying in bed thinking about this kind of stuff. Life's imponderables. (laughs) I think Allie's too young to be worrying about things like this. No, I'm proud. I love it that she's such an independent thinker. If she's so independent, why can't she figure this out herself? Ray, listen, just get up there and tell her that God put us on earth to help each other. It's simple, it's direct, it's a good way for her to live her life. What are you talking about? That doesn't answer anything. What are you telling me that God said, hmm, earth, let's see, what should I put there? Hmm, I'm going to put some humans on earth so they can help each other. Or I could just skip humans altogether and go hit a bucket of balls. (laughs) Oh, I know. It's all in the Bible. There it is. Where there are no oxen, the crib remains empty. But large crops come through the strength of the bull. (laughs) That's got nothing to do with this. No. (laughs) No. You know, the fruit fly only lives one day. (laughs) 
you okay there? What? One day. What's his meaning of life, huh? Maybe there's no meaning of life for any one of us. I mean, really. Am I any different than the fruit fly? The fruit fly doesn't question why he's here, and that's what makes us different. And I don't know, maybe that's kind of the meaning of life. Never knowing the answer, but always wondering about it. So, so God made us smart enough to know that there's an answer, but not smart enough to figure it out? Come on! <laughs> Reborn, get educated, work, and die. That's it. Or life is to help others. Well, that sounds nice, but is that really it? And are we any different than a fruit fly? Why am I here? Last week I suggested that the creator determines the created thing of anything. And it's like the creator of my watch determined the purpose of the watch, which is to keep time. And it may be a gold-plated, diamond-studded, worth thousands of dollars watch, but if it doesn't keep time, it is not fulfilling its purpose. And you may have a gold-studded, successful life with a lot of accomplishments and high values, but still miss why you were created. So why are you here? Today is the first and foundational purpose that we were created for, and it is clearly revealed by our Creator, and it is stated in the first of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. That's it. And Jesus agreed. In Mark 12, a man asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important, the most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. When God made this creation, creation's purpose was to glorify Him. The psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God. They honor Him. And we are a part of that creation, and we are created to worship and honor Him. And the way to honor Him with our lives and to worship Him is to live for Him. So why are you here? To honor God. Glorify Him and worship Him. Now, last week... I mentioned a few things our purpose is not, and I think a lot of people have bought into these, personal fulfillment, happiness, career, family. Those are all important, but what do they all have in common? They're about me, my fulfillment, my happiness, my career, and my family. Purpose is about myself. I want you to suppose that a movie company comes to Logan County, and they're going to make a movie about our wonderful county, and you are going to be an extra in this upcoming movie. And when the movie comes out and you watch the movie, who will you be looking for? You. And you'll probably scrutinize that one scene where hundreds of people are milling about just waiting for that two-thirds of a second when you can see the back of your head in this movie. Now, maybe your mom or a friend gets excited about this two-thirds of a second about the back of your head, maybe, but no one else will realize it's you. And even if you tell them you're in this movie, they may not see you and probably really do not care. But to you... This movie, i got to see this movie because it's about me, and you're convinced of it. And most of the time, we approach life in that kind of a silly way. We're part of this giant movie, which, by the way, God's not dead too. Go see it. It is good. Anyway, we look at life as this giant movie, and we say, I am the star of this movie of life. Everything that happens in this movie is somehow related to me. And that's natural because I am me, of course. But in reality, I'm not the star. Let's say you go out and rent the theater on opening night to invite all your friends and family to come and see this new movie about you. And they come and they watch and they come out and say afterwards, you are an idiot. How could you possibly think this movie is about you? We saw the back of your head for two-thirds of a second. 
Here's the real movie of life. At the start of the movie, God creates the world. Where were you? And in the real movie of life, people rebelled against God, not against you. And then God flooded the earth to clean up the mess that people have made. And then God singled out a 90-year-old man by the name of Abram and makes him the father of a nation. Where were you? Later came Joseph and then Moses, and God's the one who picks them. And then the judges and the prophets and the kings, and God's the main actor. And then the climax is the Son of God, not the Son of you. And the Son of God dies and is resurrected and goes back to be with who? With God. And then the last scene of the movie is the throne room of God, and God's on the throne, not you, and everyone is surrounding him and worshiping him, not you. Here's the bottom line. You need to get over yourself. You are not the main character, and you need to teach your children they are not the center of the universe. We have about two-thirds of a second in the movie. The star is God. And we were created to exalt him and honor him and worship him and live for him and find our identity in and from him. In fact, I got to thinking that maybe the most important question is, who is God? He's the star of the movie. So our purpose is to worship him. Now worship, when we think of it, we think of, now it's time to worship, singing and praising God on Sunday morning and sitting in seats and all that. No, biblical worship is a whole life thing, a total orientation and lifestyle. We are part of God's movie, and that is an amazing privilege. If you were asked to be an extra in a movie with, I don't know who the big shot stars are. Is Johnny Depp still kind of big? I've heard of him anyway. Anyway, if, if I got asked to be in a movie with Johnny Depp, or if you got asked to be, oh, we'd have a spasm. Oh, 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 I'm in a movie with Johnny Depp. You're just an extra, a nobody. But I'm in it with Johnny Depp. Well, we are part of God's movie. And God is a lot more than Johnny Depp. God. And here's another thing. In God's movie, you're not just an extra. What's really amazing, we are loved by the star. Johnny Depp does not love me. He doesn't know me. He doesn't care about me. God does. The star, the real star of the movie, actually knows me and loves me. Holy buckets. Now, some people, when you hear the word worship, they go, I'm not a religious person. I'm not talking about religious. I'm talking about worship, and everyone worships. Everyone worships something or someone. You cannot help it. The most irreligious, atheistic, non-worshipping person in the world worships. Worship is a universal urge that's been hardwired by God into us, into the very fiber of our being. And if we fail to worship Him, that urge to worship will always find a substitute. So that you'll worship family, or worship self, or worship career, or success, or popularity, or good looks. Everyone lives for something. By the way, I've been seeing more and more of this, and I'm not sure I should say it, but I'm going to because it's on Facebook, and you've probably seen it. Big thing today, the big idol today is sports. It has replaced God in many people's lives, in many families' lives. And that's why in the first commandment it says, you will have no other gods before me. God knew there'd be competition for priority. You may not be religious, but you do worship. Too often we separate worship from life. You know, we go to work and go to school and go on vacation, then I go to church. And God's just one of many commitments. No, no other God's before me. Everything I do is for Him. The reason I love my kids and discipline them is not because I worship them. It's so they can fulfill their purpose to honor and worship God. And I don't do it to make me look better, 
I do it so they will become God-honoring adults. That's the goal. That's why they were created. And I want to help them become what God intended them to be. The reason I do my best at my job is so my job will honor and glorify Him, not so I can get a promotion or a raise. I think Romans 12.1 is probably the best summary I could find for our primary purpose, where Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of God's mercy and what God has done for you, He sent His Son to save you, to give you new life, in view of His mercy and all the good He's done for you, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice in return. That is why you exist. Offering our bodies simply means giving our whole lives over to Him. Every act, every relationship, everything I own, everything you do honors Him. One of the words for Jesus and God in the Bible is the word arche, Greek word, and it can be translated authority, rule, beginning, and first. Romans 15, 12 talks about He rules over the nations. It describes one who is at the pinnacle. He's raised to the highest point. He has primacy in time and in rank. He is first. He's the beginning. Ephesians 1.20 has this idea. When he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, all rule, all authority. Everything is under him. He is the star of the movie. Now, back on sports. I love sports, and I am a competitive person, and I like to win. In fact, sometimes I am embarrassingly competitive. I play cards with my mom and my wife many Sunday afternoons. And if either my mom or my wife beats me, I don't like them for a while. Seriously, I get mad at my 93-year-old mother for beating me. And she's ruthless, I mean, she'll tell you. I just don't like to lose, and I know I need counseling for this. Uh, Some people say if you lose, you learn some valuable lessons in life, and I believe that's true. We should teach our kids how to lose graciously. I somehow didn't get that when I was a kid. I would rather be a good winner than an enlightened loser. Now, that competitiveness can do some good. It can help us get ahead in life. It's part of being human, and there's something innate in our DNA that we all want to win, and God is a winner, and we were made in His image, so there's some good in that, but there's a big downside to it, and that is our desire to be first and win can hurt when it comes to our purpose in life. I want to be first. I want to be the commander and the driver of my life, but that's not why I was created. God needs to take the wheel, and we need to be comfortable riding shotgun for the rest of our lives. He's driving the vehicle, and I'm along for the ride. And for competitive people, that was a tough one. To say, Jesus, you're first, or God, you're you're the RK, and you have primacy, and you're the star, it's hard. Now, here's another thing. If someone is first and RK, it also means they are more. It implies they have more or are more of something like a politician wins the office because they got more votes. When a team beats another, they had more speed or more talent and got more points. Of course, more makes you first, and God is more. More than what? You name it. Fill in the blank. Think of the most astronomical thing you can, and God is more. More than this universe. That's amazing. More than history because he's eternal. He's more than anything you encounter. He's more than that bankruptcy. He's more than cancer. 
more than money, more than tragedy or wars, more than famines, more than your weakness or your problems. God is just more, and it's hard for people who are competitive to just accept that. So what does this worship of God actually look like? Is it singing? Is it praying? What we're doing here? Well, yeah, that's part of it, but it is so much more. I'm going to put it this way. Worship is a relationship. Everything we do in worship toward God are things we do in our regular relationships. Uh, We compliment and praise the other person. We confess our wrongs. We ask forgiveness. We trust each other. We speak to each other. We eat together. We give to one another. We respond to one another's requests. We confront when needed. That's all happening in real relationships, and it all happens in the most real relationship, our one with God, dialoguing with Him and eating with Him and praising Him and giving to Him and confessing and responding. And you were created, you and I were created for that kind of relationship. That's why we're here. So worship is a relationship, but it's not a 50-50 relationship. It is also submission. Romans 12 says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. You die to yourself. You die to selfishness. You die to wanting to be first so you can live for something higher. And that means that Sunday morning worship is not for your benefit. I'll often hear people say, oh, I love the worship today. Got a lot out of it. Or, or I didn't get a lot out of it. Did you hear that sermon? What was he talking about anyway? And we will benefit from worship, and it should edify us. But the purpose is not primarily your edification. It's primarily to honor Him. And the question not this, this morning is not when you leave, is not was I pleased. The question this morning when you leave is, was God honored in my worship today? Isaiah 29, the Lord says, These people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that have been taught. So you can sit Sunday morning and not really worship. Maybe you're evaluating instead. I'm sure most of you have flown at some time or another. And if you've flown in the last 15 years or so, you've run into these TSA officers at the airport. They're kind of bossy. And they instruct you to take off your shoes and your jackets and sweaters and empty your pockets and watches and jewelry and belts. And they all go in this filthy, germ-ridden tray, you know, and your toilet, your articles are being this clear plastic bag and no more than three ounces of any liquid or gel, and you take the laptop out of your bag so your stuff goes through this little tunnel, and, and I step into a cylindrical booth and I raise my hands as if surrendering and wait for something called a scanner to search me for weapons. And I got to thinking, what would happen if we just imagined we did this on Sunday morning? And people entering church on Sunday had to pass through a scanning device that would reveal the state of their current interior life. So instead of greeters, we had TSA people with scanners, and the scanner would reveal the inner attitudes and the spiritual conditions that most of us would prefer not to have exposed. Believe it or not, one of the biblical writers wanted this. He wrote, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Reveal to me the deeper parts of myself that I'm not even in touch with. Show me where I'm not worshiping. Show me where I'm not yet submitted. And I think a scanner might just revolutionize Sunday mornings. It would help us not to engage in worship just at the appearance level, but at the soul level. You've heard of reality TV, reality worship. Think of that. We might divulge. 12% of the people here today are depressed or discouraged. 18% don't want to be here. 22% are preoccupied with a crisis at work or school. 8% haven't prayed for several days. 4% are grieving some kind of loss. 9% are mad and angry. And only 21% are truly here expecting to worship. Wouldn't that be fun? 
Search me, God. Show me. Now, like any relationship, we've got to develop and work at that relationship. And it begins by, number one, recognizing his love for you. It starts here, in view of his mercy. He wants to be with you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. Johnny Depp doesn't care. God does. And God knows you're not perfect. He knows that more than you do, but he still loves you. It's really amazing. You recognize he loves you, and you can't do anything to keep him from loving you. Why would you go bonkers for Johnny Depp and not bonkers for God? Get to know him. The one thing you do in a friendship is to get to know the other person, what they like and dislike and their hobbies and their interests. God knows everything about you. What do you know about him? What are you learning about him? So you got to read his book and communicate with him and hang around other people that are his friends. I'm going to suggest a resource to you, a, a book called Finding Your Way Back to God. I just finished it. And if you feel like you're distant or fallen away, it's really intended for non-Christians, but I think it's good for Christians who maybe feel like they're distant from God to read this. It talks about five awakenings to a new life in God, and it offers a 30-day wager. You begin each day for 30 days with the prayer and then see what happens and see how God responds. And here's the prayer. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me for 30 days. Pray that prayer. And it's got uh, a note placed at the back of the book. You can do this. And there's various versions of that prayer throughout the book too. But the wager is you pray that for 30 days and you'll start seeing things happen. It's a great book. It'll help you to, to get to know him. Now I can get that for you if you want it. Here's another thing in relationships. Be honest. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows that. But he wants us to be honest. Abraham complained to God and bargained with him. David accused God of unfairness and abandonment. Jeremiah claimed God had tricked him. Job vented against God. Just be honest. Read the Psalms. You'll see every kind of emotion in there. One says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. Lift up my voice. Sounds like he's raising his voice. He's maybe yelling. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. I have yelled at God before. That's what you do with friends. And God's closest friends in the Bible had bouts of doubt and frustration with him. Honesty is the key to any good relationship. Obey him. We are friends, but we are not his equal. He is above us. We obey because he's our king, but also because he knows what's best for us. He's the watchmaker. I'm the watch. He knows best how I tick. So he gives guidelines on how to tick. We don't obey out of guilt or fear of punishment, but because we have been forgiven and set free from sin and the consequences of sin, and we gladly obey him for all he's done for us. His value should become our values. This is what friends do. They care about what's important to the other person. And the more you love God, the more you'll care about the things he cares about. David maybe is the best at this. He was a man after God's own heart. He craved God. He used words like yearning and thirsting and hungering for God. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, he wrote, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This whole, this whole series is going to be about our purpose, but I'm going to spend a series later on this year just to talk about God. Who is this? God we talk about. Why are you here? Born, live, and die? Are we fruit flies? Number one, this is the foundation, worship God because he's the star of the movie. And if you don't get this, the rest of your purpose will miss. I have some assignments 
for you this week. You may consider buying this book, Finding Your Way Back to God. It's $13, and I can get it for you. It'll be here in a few days. Um, and let me suggest, if you would do this, you should do it with two or three other people. Doing it by yourself is hard. I try to do it on my own, and I, I, I just found in a group of two or three other, you know, people of the same sex would be best probably, or do, do it in your family. You'll hold each other accountable, and you talk about it on a daily basis. Second, continue to read the Gospels and see what Jesus did to honor God. And if you haven't already, begin to formulate your purpose statement. I want you to do it in writing because writing clarifies. It forces you to be specific. If you've already started one, I know some of you have, just evaluate what you wrote and make some adjustments as God reveals His will to you. What are ways you can honor God in your daily life? You can start this today at work or at home or at school or in your marriage or with your neighbor or with your time or your money. Uh, in sports, sports is okay, but is God being honored here? Think of every avenue of your life and ask, how can God be honored in this? How is he first? What's the competition for God worship in your life? What other things tend to crowd God out of your life? What else are you worshiping? Huge question. You've got to deal, do that in, internal scan. And then on a typical Sunday morning, what would a scan reveal about the state of your mind? Last week, one of the assignments was to write a six-word summary of your life. And here's what you don't want to be your summary. Listen to sermons. Didn't do anything. And I think that's true for too many people. And I want to challenge you to do something. Do some or all of these assignments. And I hope a six-word summary of all our lives would be, live for God, never regretted it. Romans 12.1, according to Eugene Peterson in the message, says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. God, we are amazed to think that you, the creator and the eternal star of the movie, the one and only God, actually loves us. You made us and made us for you, to be in you and to honor you. And we'll all fall short of fully accomplishing that purpose. But we also know that in you is life and hope and eternal life. And we know that the reason you sent Jesus is so that we could live in you and for you. Jesus has made it possible for us to worship. And so we thank you for creating us with a purpose. And we thank you for the one who makes that purpose possible. It's in his name we pray. Amen.